Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the MedTech Impact Podcast, where you get to hear from leaders and innovators who are shaping the future of medical technologies. I'm Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Nicholjohn. And we're your hosts of the show. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Chelsea Luxon, CEO and co-founder of Paro Nano Wound Care. Chelsea, welcome to the show. Ooh, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Please tell us this next big problem you're trying to solve. What are you focused on at the moment? Sure, sure. So wound care, um, gosh, it's a huge, one of the biggest markets, right? Specifically, wound care costs about $100 billion a year annually for Medicare, which, I mean, that's an astronomical number. And so obviously there's something going on in this industry for almost $100 billion to be spent on wounds. So what's going on? So um, I went through the NSF i program in 2020. Um, with my founding team. And that was one of our main focuses was product market fit and really trying to figure out what's going on in this industry. And what we found was that infection is actually one of the biggest problems. Specifically, there is no way to continuously monitor wounds for infection. So for instance, when you're dealing with a wound, um, all wounds are going to have bacteria in them, but that doesn't mean that they have an infection. And so as soon as that bacteria has proliferated and reached a point to go from maybe critically colonized to early infection, there's no way to tell, specifically in an outpatient setting. Um, you know, you're basically running off of clinical signs and symptoms, which is, are you running a fever? You know, is there more or less exudate, swelling, all of these things, but we're also talking about patients with multiple comorbidities as well. So are they running a fever because they have an infection or because they have COVID or something else going on? Mm -hmm. And so, um, what we found was that this huge gap in this industry is leading to negative outcomes, right? So if you do not have the ability to catch an infection early, then you're looking at um, a localized small infection growing systemic. You're looking at amputation, hospitalization, mm. sepsis, death. Um, and the results and the statistics are staggering when you're actually looking at the mortality rate of people with wounds as well compared to cancer. And so whenever we were sitting down and we were thinking about, okay, we have this really cool product. It is a nanofiber-based product, you know, technology from my first startup coupled with technology from... Uh, University in Manitoba, the University of Manitoba. And we said, okay, we can, we can make this. We can like actually address a huge problem in this industry in a really simple way. And so that's what we did. Wow, incredible. So um, you're talking about wound care as well. Can you go into a little bit, like, I guess for people in the audience to understand how wound care might be categorized? You know, I guess people obviously there might be a different depth of wound or different sort of a severity of wound. Yeah, of course. So um, wound care is very broad. I mean, if you're a human, you've had a wound. <laughs> Just is what it is. From the moment that we're born, we're susceptible, we have skin, we're going to get wounds. And so uh, it's a very big commonality between all of us as human beings. Uh, but there are different types of wounds. So what we focus on specifically is chronic non-healing wounds. So those are those wounds that are not progressing any longer through the healing process. Um, and they are open, they require, you know, weekly 
appointments, for care, and these are the wounds that are going to be at a higher risk for infection as well. So, you know, like diabetic foot ulcers, that would be a chronic wound, um, venous ulcers, chronic wounds, things like that. Wounds that are just not progressing through that healing phase. Um, acute wounds, some burn wounds, and then surgical wounds are, as long as our biosensor interacts with the biology of what's going on in the wound, it could still be impactful in those areas as well. But we really found, especially through that NSFI core program, that the majority of that expenditure is happening in the chronic wound space. Amazing. Well, Kyle, I'm sure you've had a few wounds playing hockey. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah. sure you have. <laughs> yeah, they have a bunch on my chin, if you look oh, close enough. Um, yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. I mean, you know, what kind of, I guess, then what does that standard of, of care, I guess, look, look like, you know, in identifying infections and in wounds today? Sure. So typically standard of care. So I'm going to focus on outpatient wound care because that's really where I've done the bulk of my research um, and where we decided our product market fit would be best, sure. lowest hanging fruit, as you will. So for instance, like a long-term care facility, um, a patient's going to get admitted into this long-term care facility. And if they have wounds, then hopefully those wounds are not infected um, or have some type of treatment plan in place, right? So typically in a long-term care facility, the facility will actually contract out and have someone who is specialized in wound care to come look after those patients. Um, and they will come maybe once a week, uh, once every two weeks, depending on what type of wound and what, you know, the wound is telling them it needs. Mm -hmm. And um, then the long-term care facility will be in charge of you know, dressing changes if there needs to be dressing changes and typical day-to-day -day things, right? Um, so during those weekly appointments that you're having with your wound care specialist, they're going to uncover the wound. Um, they are going to probably do some type of debridement, which is cleaning, scraping off the biofilm, things like that. Um, all great stuff, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and then they're going to redress it, assess it. You know, if it looks infected, then they might send a sample or a biopsy off or just start some type of antibiotic or antimicrobial thing like that. Um, but even in that setting, it's really difficult to, again, tell when a wound is officially infected. Mm. So if you're already looking at something that um, has super heavy exudate or it, you're running a fever and things like that, that bacteria has probably been there for a bit, <laughs> you know, cause it can take days to present those symptoms. Um, and so really where the biosensor fits in is during those, uh, you know, between appointment visits, right? The clinician visits, if you can see the biosensor. So a little bit about the product, I guess, which would be really helpful, right? It hmm. is a nano, <laughs> it's a nanofiber membrane. Um, and it is yellow. So it is just a membrane, no wires, no batteries, no device, just basically a smart band-aid. It's going to go on top of a wound. And then there will be some type of clear film, like a tagaderm or something like that, silicone, uh, to keep it in place. And when it goes from yellow to green, so it changes color, yellow to green indicates that infection has been detected. Mm -hmm. And that provides you a clear yes or no signal to hey, some intervention needs to happen. So in the long-term care space, right? Uh, the wound care provider can come in, they can clean the wound, put a biosensor on it, uh, along with whatever else they want to, you know, any other advanced wound dressing they like, um, and then leave. And during those, the 
the days between a clinician visits when the long-term care facility staff is, is looking at the wound and assessing it, they'll have a nice yes or no if something needs to happen, right? Sure. So it'll be a clear indication. And then if it does turn green, they call the clinician back. They can have some type of telehealth appointment. They can get a treatment plan in place much earlier rather than just waiting for the clinician to come back in one or two weeks. And maybe, you know, all clinicians are great, especially wounds care clinicians, but um, again, it's not always a, a, an exact science. So it could be a couple of weeks or even three or four weeks before that infection is identified. Whereas if they had a biosensor, they would know within two hours. And can it go from like, like, well, is there, how long does it take to go from yellow to green? And like, say it starts getting a little, you can tell it's sure. on, the, on the way, on the way, right? I mean, yeah, you yeah. must be able to be like, all right, this thing's starting to turn green on me. Yeah, you know? of course. Okay. Sure, sure. So, um, in our science that we have found in our research, um, in certain inoculations, it will actually change color immediately. So, oh. which is, you know, great. That just means it's tunable, right? So if you're putting it on a wound that is uh, clean and is not infected, it will remain yellow until that bacteria has start to reach that level of colonization. So we're looking at like 10 to the fourth coliform units. Uh, per square centimeter, 10 to the fifth time frame, which is what our biosensor detects. That's important for the wounds care world and that that's the threshold that generally is accepted that says this is early infection is are those thresholds. And, and there's nothing like this though out there today right now? No. So there's no wearable anything. What we have today is you know, AI technology um, with apps, a lot of wound care apps now are incorporating, like you can take a scan of a wound and try to, you know, use AI to see if there's an infection or tell you what type of wound or keep track of it. There's mm -hmm. another company called Moleculite, which is a great company. Um, another handheld device, they use fluorescent imaging to uh, take pictures of the wound um, and then say what type of bacteria is where based on a color scale and uh, you know what level of infection is present. Then we have uh, like swabbing, which is about 50% accurate. A lot of people don't like using it. CMS is no longer reimbursing it. So swabbing is not really the industry standard anymore, which is where you take like, you know, you actually swab it and send it to the lab. And then uh, there are more distinct tests like PCR tests or punch biopsies or biopsies in general. Um, same thing. You take a sample of the wounds of the tissue, um, and you send it to the lab. And so that's what we have. All of these things, either, uh, you know, the scanning, um, you know, devices do provide pretty immediate results. They are somewhat expensive, but they provide immediate results and they are great, Sure. but no continuous monitoring. And there's no, <laughs> there's hmm. no wearable device there. Right. Exactly. Um, and it's not to say that too, like, like, like it might help with the diagnosis and providing maybe, or suggesting a, a treatment method, but it still, it's not going to be perfect. Right. And you're still going to want to monitor it because to your sure. point, what you were saying earlier, you know, you don't want to risk infection turning into much larger problems and illness, you know, uh, amputation you yes. know goodness so um yeah, absolutely and the other thing as well like all these other steps require you to be proactive somebody actually has to do something where you're providing yeah. this totally natural reactive solution where exactly. actually it tells you instantly that's so cool. that's a good point yeah because another thing so i in the nsfi core program is probably aside from the m2d2 program of course one of the best things that we did as a company uh but truly honestly uh 
because it really allowed me to get in front of, I talked to over 150 um, wound care professionals and patients about their experience in the industry. And I conducted unbiased interviews. So I did not tell them upfront, like, hey, this is the project I'm working on. And I would like to pick your brain about it. It was, hey, I identified you because you're obviously very prevalent in the wound care space. I'm doing market research in this space. And I would love to just pick your brain about that as a whole. And so in these unbiased interviews, I always asked, you know, like, what's your number one problem when dealing with, with wounds, right? And typically, I would say about 95% of the time, it was infection and patient compliance. And patient compliance is a huge factor here because uh, you talk to any provider, any doctor in general, and patients are not compliant in terms of they get told what they need to do. And I'm guilty of this too. They get told what they need to do. Hey, you have a wound. You need to change your dressing every three days. You need to take your antibiotics. You need to do all of these things. And then they send them home and that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so we really wanted to make sure that we were not providing a solution that was going to be a burden on the, the patient themselves or the wounds care professionals. So when we were really designing this and like entering our prototyping phase, we wanted to keep it as simple as possible. You know, it's kind of like a, you put it in place and you don't necessarily forget about it, but you leave it alone until it has turned green type of deal. And so it's a very easy way. So any patient or caregiver of any skill level and in any setting, anywhere in the world can use our product and have it actually be workable for them and even yeah. colorblind people. So there you go. It, well, we're big believers in iCore for sure. I mean, I think having the yeah. customer and the patient in the central is so important from day one. But also you've mentioned a few times there this we aspect. And I think it's something great to hear a little bit more about, about the team you've built because you've gone out and you've got some advisors around you. And I think this is so important when you're building technology to have a great team around you. I do agree. Um, so my co-founder, Maurice, uh, he's, he's the one who I took his class in entrepreneurship and he identified me for the business plan competition. And then we just kind of stuck together because he is an engineer background. He has a patent background. He's actually a registered patent agent. So that's great. He's written our entire patent portfolio, which, you know, good stuff. Yeah, yes. um, <laughs> and he's also an experienced entrepreneur himself. And so as we moved forward, it was very essential early on that Maurice and I were like, we are not wounds care professionals, right? Um, hmm. Uh, so when we were talking to people, it was kind of like, we're both the business minds and like, you know, he's got the, the engineering mind frame for the, the manufacturing piece and the development of the product itself. And then I came along and I'm kind of like the glue that holds it all together and the strategist and the fundraiser and making sure things are moving forward. And we're all on the same page all the time type of deal. And so we really needed to bring someone in very early on who is an MD or has some experience in wound care. And so we went out and we kind of looked around and we identified um, Ron Scott. He is basically one of the founding fathers of wound care in Texas, mm. um, founded some really impressive clinics and has been in the wound care industry for years and years. Um, and so we brought him on really, really early on. And then we also really rely heavily on our um, university partner, the University of Manitoba. So the lead researchers there who are named inventor of the patents up there, we have like an amazing, um, you know, scientist researcher, Song Lu, Dr. Song Lu, 
he is like the the brain behind the science and his students that we work with are just brilliant. And then we also have uh, Sarvesh Lakzetti, who's another MD, and he is the director of the burn unit up there. And so he brings another clinical side of things, um, you know, from the Canadian side, but he also uh, has a lot of experience in the United States as well. And so between the three of those players coupled with Maurice and I, we've really been able to like move this forward. And then as we've continued to develop traction and, uh, you know, kind of decide where we're headed in the industry, we've also identified some strategic investors as well. Specifically, um, we brought on one strategic investor in 2021, I think it is, um, and uh, he came with uh, our first customer. So because he's an investor of ours, he gave us money, but also, you know, he got a piece of the company and he brings with him access to 800 long-term care facilities, which will be our first, our first customer. So what a match, um, that's perfect. Yeah, so it's it's been really symbiotic and he's in long-term care space and he also has a ton of resources and connections himself. He has access to, you know, manufacturing organization, a just a, a you know, simple distribution channel, all of these things. And so it's just kind of been like my experience as a as a entrepreneur and co-founder is just, you know, authentically go out and then as you if you have a good idea and you're really passionate about what you're doing, people will naturally want to join. Um, and that's been my experience. And then as the entrepreneur and co-founder, you kind of sit back and you say, wow, this is, oh, people are always offering to help and things. And so you just kind of like assess and say, okay, who can, who's going to, who are we going to work best with type of thing? And, and what can everyone offer? And um, so it's been, it's been a whirlwind, but it's been really exciting too. So yeah, well, it sounds like you've got a team, though, that's just so, so well balanced, right, with that perfect level of expertise and brings that ideal level of value, which is, you know, so important, right, to starting any company organization and bring a product to market. Um, it sounds like you got the team nailed down, but, you know, they're are definitely challenges that present themselves along the way. So kind of, you know, you mentioned funding. So you've got some funding, you've got some, you know, access to customers, you know, but I mean, you got great talent, but kind of what are the challenges that you might've faced so far along the way? Ho ho, the challenges, <laughs> you know, the pathways like this, right? Sure. Um, so early on, one of our first challenges was just finding initial funding to combine two technologies. Because as I mentioned, uh, we have, uh, well, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I kind of alluded to it. We have exclusive license from the University of Central Oklahoma, which is where I'm from, and Maurice is from. He's named inventor of those patents. Mm -hmm. And then we have an exclusive license to University of Manitoba piece. So essentially we have a manufacturing piece from the University of Central Oklahoma, and then the nanofiber, like the color change piece from over in Manitoba. We had to combine those two technologies and validate that our manufacturing process was going to enhance what Manitoba was doing. And so initially that was our, you know, a big hurdle for us was um, we have two proven technologies, but we really had to find someone to be able to say, hey, can you give us some money so we can slap them together and prove, to, prove that it works, right? Sure. Um, and so that was a challenge, but we overcame it and we did, uh, did that indeed. We proved that not only does our manufacturing process um, actually make the membrane more sensitive, but it actually just makes it a better product overall and manufacturable, which is great. 
And then other challenges have just been, you know, around your typical prototyping. I mentioned that Maurice and I were also not biomedical people on the back end. And so we really had to, you know, beef out our team. So that was a challenge as well as mm. making sure that we identified the correct people to bring on board um, as early on as possible, while also uh, maintaining the integrity of the company as well. So, you know, there's a fine balance that we as founders play between just giving away the farm because we want to build this great team, but also making us investable without, you know, muddling the cap table too much. So, sure. you know, that's always a challenge as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then just your regular prototyping things. Hmm. I feel like, <laughs> you know, in anything that you're doing science-based, uh, everything is just a really exciting science experiment. But sometimes that science experiment does not pan out how you think it will, which is normal. Um, and so, you know, there's just been a couple of challenges where we envisioned that the biosensor was going to work a certain way. And then we tested it and it was like, nope, we have to do some more prototyping on that. Again, fine. But there's always uh, pieces of that as you move forward. So sure. And I would imagine, too, um, you know, it's so funny because like, Richard and I, you know, just chatting about your technology too before this with you, uh, Richard, we're kind of lucky, right? Where it's a, we were saying it's, it sounds like such a simple technology. And we mm -hmm. kind of say that lightly, you know, because we know all the science that goes into something like this oh, is God. not yeah. simple, right? But I think the, that end product, you know, is quite simple, but it's, a, but what I found interesting too, is that, you know, how, how you had, you know, a part of the technology you know, on one with one, you know, team or one university, the other part with the other and bringing those two together and figuring out how to make those work. And, um, you know, I guess something that kind of comes to mind, too, is that you, you got to do this in what I would we would imagine a pretty cost effective way, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> like, so you're doing this and you're you're developing this technology. And you're like, well, I mean, if when we make this, obviously we're going to have to manufacture this at scale. Obviously, we have to do this in a cost-effective manner because you know you, you you're going to have to probably, I would imagine, have access to some sort of reimbursement. So, I mean, what is is that? It has like what's that look like for the company? Like, you know, how how do you how do you design something that sounds so simple, but maybe it really isn't, right? And it it, it looks simple on the outside, but it, it could inherently have some costs associated with it. What What is, you know, sure. I mean. Oh yeah, no, for sure. So, um, gosh, <laughs> we are the, the, the company that has bootstrapped, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> we hmm. brought in, we've just kept bringing in, you know, money, but you're right. We had to be very cost-effective with how we used it. So Maurice and I, you know, for the longest time, we're just sweat equity players um, sure. and doing what we could. And so uh, being cost efficient and, and capital efficient has really been a, a point of pride for us because we have been able to accomplish a tremendous amount on limited capital, both strategically. So, you know, we purposefully have limited the capital that we've raised just Good. because we want to preserve that cap table and, totally. you know, raise our valuation as much as possible, mm -hmm. but also taking advantage of, you know, I'm in the state of Oklahoma, taking advantage of uh, what Oklahoma has to offer here as well. Um, There's so many programs that are offered to startups in the state, which 
you know, if you're not from Oklahoma, why would you know this? Uh, but we work closely with a lot of these really great uh, programs that are inexpensive and really dedicated to helping founders from Oklahoma um, move forward and, and get a product on the market. And so from our standpoint, you know, being super capital efficient, partnerships up front that are helping us achieve that. And then also keeping in mind, like I said, like my job as the CEO is fundraising and strategy. So I have to make sure that as we move forward, we're not making a product that's going to be so incredibly expensive to manufacture because that would, that we would be dead in the water. I also have to make sure that we don't make a product that nobody in the market's going to use. Mm -hmm. So again, it's that delicate dance of um, matching what the industry is telling you with also being just a smart business person. And so the way that we've kind of come about that is originally we had a pricing model in mind where we were going to go after a price per square centimeter pricing model. So it was like, you know, following like a skin sub or skin graft and things like that. And uh, go class two de novo pathway for the FDA and then head on up to CMS and probably do who knows, you know, clinical trial wise and try to get in that higher reimbursement bucket. Um, But again, you have to pay attention to the industry. We have seen specifically in wound care that there has been some pushback from, you know, payers about what they want to pay for specifically in that higher reimbursement bucket now. So we're seeing cutbacks on skin subs, placental skin grafts, um, cutbacks on diagnostic technology, uh, cutbacks just on wound care products in general. Some companies are getting sued now that you're like, oh my gosh, like (laughs) we have to stay out of this arena, right? Mm. And so one of the big things that I actually identified at the M2D2 like demo day, one of the big feedbacks um, loops that I got was, is there any way to make this product, I don't want to say less expensive, but affordable to where you wouldn't have to go through a payer or reimbursement structure, at least initially. And at the time I was like, you know, it would be great, wouldn't it? It would be great if we could do that. But then I, that was a point of, uh, you know, I just marking what was noticing what's happening in the industry. Then I really was like, okay, no, is there a way though? Like, can we actually do this? Mm -hmm. And so I went back to Maurice co-founder and together, uh, we, we were able to get our numbers down to where we can actually sell this to without being reimbursable. So we're looking at like a pricing model. That's like $7 and 50 cents per product at this. Oh my gosh. I was going to say, is this like around a $10 product, right? Because that's what I would imagine as a consumer, if Mm -hmm. I was going to buy a, you know, this is like, I don't mean this to come off the wrong way, but like a glorified bandaid, right? No, it's a smart bandaid. How a consumer is like, you know, they don't really, they might not care as much, but, um, but, but, but they do care about making sure that their wound doesn't get infected. Right. So there's a price you're willing to pay. And I mean, obviously, if it's a significant amount, a uh, significant type of wound and it's impacting your quality of life and you know that there's certain risk involved. Yeah, I'm going to pay out of pocket all day, even for that seven you know, dollar range. Um, yeah. and, then, and then I would imagine, though, too 
the hospitals, it's kind of like, hey, guys, if you can have a, a, an opportunity in a, a very low cost way to be able to monitor your patients at home, right? So less resources here in the right. in the in the healthcare system, less time being spent, less maybe uh, drugs and other types of treatments being utilized. You know, I mean, there's so many opportunities. It sounds like to avoid a lot of extra healthcare costs where it's well worth, you know, a small investment for, you know, your, your type of you know, patch, if you will. Right. Yeah. Um, so. No. And you can call it a, you know, a glorified <laughs> bandaid. It's a smart bandaid. That's what we're branding it as <laughs> it's now. A smart so, band-aid. All right, cool, it's cool. good. Yeah. And so you're absolutely right. And so once we crunch those numbers, we, we, through the NCDT program as well, identified because I won some awards. Woo. Um, yeah. Best presentation got me uh, $5,000 of in-kind support from an awesome consultant. And that consultant actually has crafted a regulatory pathway for us that is vastly different than what we originally thought, but allows us to get into market quicker. So taking our now much less expensive um, and cost-intensive product and doing maybe a class one over-the-counter device instead. So limited market release into once we self-register with the FDA and do all the you know necessary things that you still have to do um, into our first customer that I mentioned, 800 long-term care facilities, do post-market controlled clinical trials so we can start expanding our indications for use. And then um, we have lots of products that will come from this as well. So this is just the beginning. We really have a platform technology in that Yes, we're a biosensor and we can detect, you know, infection and things like that, but we can also do targeted drug delivery. We have patents and research papers published around targeted drug delivery with our membrane as well. And so um, it's really just the tip of the iceberg for us. And it's, it's interesting because if you ask in the industry, uh, you know, key opinion leaders, what's, what's the future of this industry look like? Um, all of them are going to say smart wound care or some type of smart products, right? That allows them to focus not so much on just the day-to-day wound care aspect of it, right? Mm. So like a, 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 a sensor that they can put on and it tells them, hey, something's infected and B, you know, we released a drug to treat it for you. So you're off the hook. And you can, as a provider can be rest assured that that has actually taken place, right? Well, fortunately, <laughs> we have the capability to do that. Um, and so specifically with our biosensor now, and so we're really at the cusp of this curve that's going to be coming into the industry, um, the smart wounds care curve. And I'm so excited to be here and so excited to be like at the front, you yeah. know, and, and I've got traction, I've got partners, I've got um, basically everything in place. So as soon as we open up our next round, which will be opening in the next couple of months, um, I'm going to be asking for a sum that will accelerate us and actually get us into the market, into that limited market release. So we will have a product able to be used on the market and start gaining some revenue. And it's just so exciting because that could happen in months. You know, we're talking a year. I could have a product on the market and that is just it's it's nuts but is that because of the de novo pathway that you mentioned too is that because like usually when something doesn't exist right i'm so used yeah. to in my line of work a pma kind of but yes. pma sounds like so way too intense for your type of technology and it's not like i don't think you know uh anyone's no. gonna die <laughs> necessarily from your yeah. right so it's like kind of one of those things where uh um is that the advantage then of that de novo pathway 
actually, that's kind of a disadvantage of de novo. So what really? we're doing instead is we're, we're veering away from that de novo pathway altogether. We're going for a class one medical device. Oh, okay. Um, oh, that's yeah. right. Because you were saying class two at first, yes, but that's because... why you went to class one. Mm -hmm. And that allows you to maybe bring that product right to the consumer. Yes. And okay. the reason we were able to do that, because I don't want there to be any confusion about like, oh, they're going to pass off a class two device as a class one. No, no, no. Uh, we have done our research. It is, we're going to make a class one product. So instead of, you know, claiming that it detects infection, we're just going to say, if a color change occurs, speak to your provider, right? Sure. We're limiting our indications for use and our intended uses um, to model after already available class one products. And it. so it will, and then, as I said, we'll get post-market clinical trial data, officially moving us from a science project into an actual product where we have actual data from humans, not pigs or animals or anything else. Um, and then we can start expanding those intended uses and, you know, go for a class two device later um, with our future products, because you know, a dual product like the drug del delivery platform, like I mentioned, will definitely be class two. Mm. Um, and so it's just, we're kind of using this as a way to pave the way, prime our way, sure. uh, get us into the market. It's a way to get more revenue too, right? It's a way to like get immediate revenue to continue yeah. to self-fund your business, to, to, to keep that valuation high. Yes. Um, what about a licensing deal? Because now you're getting into consumer, right? And branding. Yeah. I don't want to like <laughs> expose any secret strategies here, but as the brain and the wheels are turning, I sure. think about the big Band-Aid brand, you know? Yeah. I mean, so uh, <laughs> we are always happy to entertain any offers, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's something else that I think we pride ourselves on in being a startup is that we so often you see startups um, be kind of inflexible and rigid in how they envision their pathway to be. We're very, as long as we, we will do our research and we're going to validate that this is the right space for us to be in. And the, if we have to pivot or make changes, we validate that these are the nice changes we need to make, but we also are very willing to make changes. So, you know, mm. if something came along, an opportunity came up that was a licensing deal that made sense for us and allowed us to really I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's more than just making money. It's truly about getting a product into the hands of people who are going to use it and who it would actually make a difference. Um, and so if I can do a licensing deal and that accelerates that process and I can see that my technology uh, is on, you know, some type of other already existing product, yeah, um, that's great. You know, as this long as awesome. it as long as it all makes sense, so. I mean, I love the fact that you've been able to take on board all that advice. I mean, it's cool that you obviously that happened from entry to YouTube, but the fact that you were able to validate it, as you say, that's a key thing, you know, because mm -hmm. I feel like we're always in this business of obviously communication, but making decisions. And of course, every decision has to be validated to understand, should you pivot or should you stay on the same path? Because of course, you're getting lots of feedback, lots of advice. Always. So, it's crazy, yeah. So you've done such a great job of navigating all that. Can you tell us a little bit more now about when you're talking about this FDA pathway and limited mm -hmm. market evaluation, like how many patients are you wanting to target in that next or that first iteration? Sure. So um, we haven't quite nailed down what that looks like yet. We're still in the very, I mean, this since we're talking that this new decision in this new pathway has just happened in like the last 90 days type of thing. Um, and so we've talked to our first customer. 
Um, and we think what will happen is he actually privately owns nursing homes as well. He will own 16 by the end of the summer, which he's just buying them up, you know, which is great for him. <laughs> and <laughs> so, yeah, which I'm like, yeah, power to you. Um, and so he owns privately these nursing homes. And so I think our initial uh, into the market will be as patient intake maybe for these nursing homes. So if a patient comes in and they have some type of wound, um, you throw a biosensor on, it's going to be available in a kit. So it'll be like, there'll be a foam dressing of some sort available with it. The biosensor itself packaged separately and sterilized itself. And then the clear adhesive backing also packaged and sterilized itself. Um, and so you'll throw the biosensor on. If it changes color, then you know that that patient came in with the infection and it is not a facility acquired infection. Um, and if it doesn't, then rest assured, you can continue to use the biosensor if you want um, to make sure that it doesn't get infected in your facility as well. So uh, I think that's what we're going to do. It's going to be like a more controlled basis in the private nursing homes. And then as we start to get data, we'll distribute it out to the rest of the 800. And then on the back side of things, um, we've also started talking to, you know, not mega distributors, but mid-level distributors as well, who would be able to then take our product and um, maybe put it alongside one of their products that they already sell as like a, an add-on, a nice addition for an extra $10, you know, you, right. you get the ability to tell if there's an infection present. And so we've started kind of paving that way as well. So we can have a really nice market saturation when we're ready. Wow. I mean, what amazing access to have, because Kyle and I, we, you know, we talk about having investor due diligence for startups, so they find the right investor that match, but I think you've taken it to a whole other level there by having that investor who gives you then access to all these patients as well. It's incredible. Yeah, it's great. And, um, I, you know, like I said, I found that the best way to find these people is just be true and authentic to, you know, your passion about the project that really rings through whenever you're talking to people. And also I, I feel like just my hunger for knowing, you know, I'm an intensely curious person and I am a lifelong learner. Like if I could, well, I guess I created an, uh, a career for myself that allowed me to continue to learn, take myself to Chelsea business school all the time, you know? And I feel like whenever you are in this space that really allows people to trust you and you get really good feedback, but you also find people like I have found who um, are willing to help and believe in you and believe in your product because they know that you will do whatever it takes to make sure that it makes it to the market within reason, of course, following all the ethical guidelines and things like That's that. That's so true. And I have to give a shout out to Morris because he's the nicest guy ever. I mean, yeah. Oh great. yeah, no, he's so great. Um, I'm just, I'm thrilled to have been able to work with him and it, truly it's like, this is the best career I could have created for myself. So and then to other supporters then, can you talk a little bit about, obviously you've got this team, but in terms of, has there been other people you've kind of have helped you along the way? Because I know you referenced obviously some people you've met through programs, but has there been any other key personalities? You've sure. So, um, gosh, I feel we have met a lot of really great, specifically women. I have met some really great women in this space. Um, being a female founder in med tech is kind of isolating sometimes <laughs> it's becoming more acceptable now but whenever I first founded my company that was uh, a roadblock for me personally that I had to to overcome and so as I've moved forward I really tried to collect women around me maybe not as part of my company but you know part of other companies who have 
paved the way, you know, stand on the shoulders of giants, right? And um, I have been able to cultivate these relationships that are great for me personally from, and, you know, business from a business mind standpoint, but also great because they're in wound care and they know what they're talking about and they can help me track trends. They can help me navigate uh, partnerships. If I get a sketchy feeling from someone I'm talking to, then I'll send them a text and say, Hey, what do you know about this person? And they'll give me the red light, green light type of thing, or the be careful or the, Oh no, they're great type of deal. And so it's really nice to build not only a team around your startup, which obviously is essential, but I'm also a big believer in building a team around yourself as well. People who are invested in Chelsea, um, me moving forward and, and my success as well. And then vice versa, I become part of their inner circle and am also can be a sounding board for them as well. So we all kind of like create this feedback loop and it's just like a nice like energy synergy that we create um, that's really supportive. And it's it's something that I'm pretty passionate about as again, a female founder. I feel like I have to find those those females who are like me and stick together, you know? Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, Richard, great, great questions there. And it kind of leads to something that I think we're always curious about too. Um, so Chelsea, I guess reflecting back on really kind of a short amount of time here, you know, you've really only been in this co-founder and CEO role, uh, you know, for, for a short amount of time and you've made such incredible strides, but, uh, and you've had all these experience, but what's kind of some advice that you might have or some experiences that you might want to share anything that would help, um, uh, an entrepreneur, um, that's looking to bring a medical technology to market. What, what advice do you have for them? Sure. Um, so I guess one big piece of advice, specifically in the med tech space is really, you just have to humble yourself all the time, every day. <laughs> Because when you think you know something, you don't, or you might know a little bit of something, but there's always going to be someone else who knows more. And there is no shame in, you know, writing down something. I used to do this all the time. I, if someone would tell me something um, early on, I would write it down and highlight it. I would ask for clarification, but then I would go back and I would research it in, you know, in my notes later by myself to make sure that it really stuck. Um, and there is no shame in asking for, excuse me, you're using an acronym that I don't understand. Can you tell me what a, 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 a that thing is? Yeah. Oh yeah. And science loves acronyms. I mean, it's just everywhere. Yeah. Oh my gosh. They're everywhere. And I'm also playing in the DOD space now too, Department of Defense, another acronym, exactly. right? Yeah. We have a contract. And so um, there have been so many acronyms that I'm like, <clears throat> pause. <laughs> what exactly does that mean? Who am I talking to? Wait, that acronym is the same as this acronym? Okay, okay, okay. You know, and so there's really no shame, but you really have to humble yourself. Um, and I think as a, a founder, you, again, there's a lot of delicate dances, fine lines that you have to draw because you have to present that you are an expert in your field. And you are because nobody will know your product as well as you do. But you also have to understand that when you're dealing with something in the med tech, the doctors, the clinicians, the patients themselves, they all have experiences and they all have opinions. And those opinions do matter because at the end of the day, if I'm not making something that is going to be impactful to these people, the end users, the end buyers, the people who have the purchasing power, then what am I even doing? You know, it doesn't matter how cool my technology is hmm. because you can't, you can't move forward. Um, and then the second piece is definitely building your, building your network and also taking care of yourself. I think, um, as a co-founder, there's always that, 
that uh, balance of you want to live and breathe your startup, which I think is great, but also you need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself as well. And I have been an entrepreneur since like 2015. Um, that was my, the first company I founded was way back then. And I have gone through ebbs and flows of you name it. Like I went hard and then all of a sudden maybe not a burnout, but something will happen. And you're like, oh my gosh, like I really need to take better care of myself. And so as I've gotten older and moved forward with this new venture, it's been really imperative to me that I also have outlets outside of the entrepreneurship circle that I, that I take care of myself as well, you know, exercise, yeah. take care of yourself. Well, those are, those sleep. are so important. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Important. Absolutely. Journal, read, I don't know, have a hobby. That's not <laughs> your startup. Uh, because you, you have to give your brain a break sometimes. I find that the best ideas that I have and the most traction I get is when I am in full balance of, I have been working really, really hard on my startup, but I'm also taking care of myself too. That's the word, balance. It's all about yeah. balance for sure. All about balance, yeah. Got that right. It's okay to tip the balance here and there, but try <laughs> to get yourself back into that yeah. equilibrium, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, honestly, that's been amazing advice to give. And I think you've honestly, if I look back on the whole conversation, you've been dropping knowledge bombs all the way through. So this has been a fantastic conversation. No, I've had such a great time, you guys. And the M2D2 program was honestly great. Like, you know, I'm very transparent about my experience with the i program. It was awesome. But definitely the greatest thing that I did was, in, you know, in recent years, because that was in 2020 that I did that. So it's been a bit, but you know, the M2D2 program really solidified for me that this is the space that we can play in. And the amount of feedback that we got and support that we got from everyone involved. And, you know, I even added some people from our cohort to my inner circle, right? So it's been great. And uh, it's, I, I just, I feel so strongly about specific accelerator programs. I feel like there's so many out there, but this one was very, very good and very beneficial. So I've been, you know, telling all of my med tech people about it. Like you should apply for MCG too. <laughs> oh, thank you, Chelsea. But, but ultimately you make it happen. And again, you're the leader within this. And it's so great to see all the things you're doing and how you're actually leveraging all these opportunities. Yeah, yeah. no, it's been great. So thank you guys so much. Yeah, and well, before you go, how do people learn more about Paranano and the smart your smart patch and, yeah. uh, and and how do they get maybe get in touch with you too? Of course. So uh, our website is Paranano Labs, P A R A N A N O L A B S dot com. But a direct line of communication for me is just email me, shoot me an email, Chelsea C H E L S E A at Paranano Labs dot com. Um, and let me know who you are. Let me know how you heard about me. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Shoot me an email. I love talking to people. It's my curiosity, you know, my curious nature. Um, and so if you're not a bot or, you know, spam hmm. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, honestly. Be, like, be human, please. Yeah, yes, that's exactly. a good starting point. Yeah, no, I but, don't want a list of people. <laughs> yeah, I know. Gosh, it's, I get those emails all the time. But um, uh, and something else that I will say is, you know, obviously being a founder as well. Um, if I don't get back to you and you are a real person, email me again. But yeah. I am really good about catching that first email. So right. I'm excited to chat with everyone and um, always excited to share more. So perfect. Well, you heard it. We tried to Chelsea, learn more about them and watch this space because there's exciting things coming. Yes, yeah. yes. 
Awesome. Well, I think that will do it for the show then. We'll sound off now. So once again, I'm Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Mikuljohn. And that was Chelsea Luxon, founder and CEO of Paranano and their incredible smart patch technology that's being used for the treatment of infection and chronic wounds. So thanks again, Chelsea. I appreciate having you on. And uh, <laughs> until next time. Keep innovating. Ha, 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 